1: Welcome to the Colton Collective
2: Podcast Here are your hosts, Dave AC
1: and The Sixth Doctor
3: And I'm waiting. Yes, I'm waiting because uh, sometimes my voice gets a bit distorted if I try and talk over that thing. And you will guess, even with any distortion, this is not Ian the Sixth Doctor in the church, Dave AC. Welcome to another weekly episode of uh, the Cult and Collective podcast. Going weekly now, of course, that Doctor Who is uh, enjoying a new season run. up 12 episodes. And we are talking today about... uh, episode four, Before the Flood, the second part of a two-part story. And we've got a, a number of people in the room, so let me uh, do the hosting duties and welcome those in. Uh, because he unfortunately, can't be with us, and not unfortunately, I should say fortunately, because he's doing something really great. He's actually uh, with the Charlotte Players on stage in um, Richard Dresser's Rounding Third, a comedy about baseball, Little Lee, and what it means to win the game. That runs from October the 8th to the 18th, uh, and uh, uh, that's Charlotte Players Community Theatre in Port Charlotte, Florida. So Ian, we hope you're doing extremely well in that. I know the rehearsals have been going well, so all the best, break a leg, whatever I'm supposed to say. But um, he will be back for the running commentaries that we're doing, and he will also be back uh, in a couple of weeks on the live show. But helping me out today, the person, the person I'm going to introduce is Jeff the Seventh Doctor. Hi, Jeff.
4: Hello, Dave. Uh, I'm glad you're telling us that you're not Ian. I could have gotten confused.
3: Well, there may be people that are hearing this for the very first time. We are picking up new listeners, especially now, that we're more available on mobile devices uh, like iOS and Android systems. Uh, Overcast Overcast 2 is now free, uh, so that's another way that people can catch us, as well as all the different uh, uh, apps that people... Uh, they say that in the next year or two, more than 50% of podcasts will be listened to on mobile devices. So I've been trying to push us uh, a little bit more to be present and correct, the Colton Collective, on those uh, outlets. So that's the explanation, Jeff, and I'm sticking to it.
4: All right. Well, I'm just glad because I didn't want to get confused.
3: And it's uh, good to have you back here. Unfortunately, you you weren't able to join us a a couple of weeks, and we will give you uh, a little bit of latitude today. Hopefully, you'll be able to tell us a little bit about your thoughts on part one of this two-part story That we're going to go straight into, again, after I've introduced the rest of the people in the room. Also, after a little bit of a break, we've got Ken in the room with us. Hi, Ken. Hi, Dave. How are you? Um, Very well, thank you, and and happier to know that you're with us and uh, uh, able to contribute on the phone and uh, obviously raring to go. I am. I am. And I'm doing fine.
0: I'm Uh, on a sunny day.
3: Okay, also on uh, audio, we've got uh, Mr. Darth Skeptical with us. Hi, Darth. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine indeed. I went to see uh, The Martian last night in 3D. Really enjoyed it. Well we, talk, well, we talked a little bit about it prior to you arriving, but uh, thought it was excellent, and uh, yeah, it was it a was good program. Could have been a little bit shorter at uh, 140 minutes, but other than that, I did enjoy it indeed. Uh, let me also welcome uh, Dr. Gonzo in the room and on audio. Hi, Dr. Gonzo.
5: Hello. How are you?
3: Good to have you here and hope you'll uh, be able to uh, make some contribution during the course of the call. Uh, we will probably go with some of the uh, people that you've heard me already introduced first, but uh, please uh, feel as though you can step in when you have anything to contribute and if you have a lot to contribute, then we'll give you your whole session to yourself. We also did have... Cheers. We also did have on audio, uh, but um, as uh, now just listening, that's Oscar Talks. uh, And since he is under the cone, I suppose I ought to play the uh, music for that. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate,
1: simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable Cone of Silence. What?
3: Okay, so uh, with Oscar talks under the Cone of Silence, is uh, Dragon Time Lord, uh, Symbios, uh, Price Pudding Rain, um Supermoon Eclipse, Mad Hal and the ever-present Cybob with whom we, uh, we have a charter. We can't go ahead without him. Well, we may have to uh, break that bond at some time, but as long as he can make it, we are absolutely delighted. So that represents the, the quorum of people under the cone. Well, today we're uh, going to uh, leave out news. So what I'm going to do is um, explain to people I'll let Andy explain how you can join us on our weekly show. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? Or are on Talkshoe, call ID
1: 54821. Call in on 724 444 this is a US number, area code 724,
3: so do check your calling plan before dialling in. If you have a tip client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect him directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed.
1: Looking forward to hearing you.
3: Excellent. And um, just before we uh, actually get on to our topic, uh, I just want to say that... Um, We were expecting to have to try and be fairly abrupt and get finished by 4pm because uh, Podshot Live was supposed to be on. But uh, Lewis sends his apologies. He will not be now doing his um, review of this two-parter until uh, next Sunday, hopefully again at 4pm. And that's Call Series 23358, also on uh, you, So that will be immediately following us next week, when we will, of course, be talking about uh, The Girl Who Died, part one of the next uh, 2 parts to come along. But today, uh, episode 294, uh, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, Before the Flood. And um, I'm going to, in a moment, be going to Ken first, and we've got uh, the first two people we're going to go to is... Uh, Ken and then Jeff, if we may, Uh, both those two people were unable to join us talking about part one. That was Under the Lake, uh, episode three. Uh, And so they're going to perhaps um, combine their reviews of the two and and discuss it as a two-parter. Of course, this aired on the 10th of October yesterday. The overnight viewing figures are now in at 4.38 million. That's up from about 3.7 million last year. Here in the UK, we're having an awful lot of sports dominating our major channels. Uh, We've got lots of international rugby on. And we also have um, what you call Dancing with the Stars in the States, but Strictly Come Dancing here, which is starting a new run where they have about 14 or 15 dancers. And that's running long over two hours. Uh, that does mean that um, in some families, unfortunately, I've heard young children uh, have been disappointed that the start time has been something like 8.25 or later. They do seem to mess around a little bit with Dot2 and its start times. But anyway, we've got people eager to get going on our topic. So uh, let me unleash Ken on a waiting and willing world. as right. He gives us as, um erudite uh, Thoughts on <laughs> Under the Lake and Before the Flood?
0: Glub, 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 glub. <laughs> All right. Uh, first off, I, I really enjoy the aspect of the two-parters. The, the stories have Time to Breathe, and uh, I, I really like uh, cliffhangers and the old traditional Who style. So that out of the way. Under the Lake was good basic base under seed story. Um, not extraordinary, but really some nice creepiness throughout. Um, Capaldi is excelling at his, his performance as the uh, 12th Doctor. It continues. I, I loved the bits between him and Clara um, with the um, basic how, how to get along with human being cards that he had, the, the prompting cards. Uh, that, that was a uh, wonderful little bit. Including the little nice nod to Sarah Jane, you know. We, I'm sorry I left you in Croydon. Uh, comment. Um, him hyperventilating over Shirley Bassey um, was very nice. Now I think the key to any base under seed story is you have a good guest cast, and I think everyone uh, excelled here. I I, I enjoyed the uh, the signing. Uh, needed for the uh, second-in-command. I thought that was an interesting point uh, that it uh, accentuated the drama in what she had. And um, it, it went to a nice, uh, terrifying conclusion with a great cliffhanger with the doctor there being the victim, now being amongst the ghosts. And how is he going to get out of this one? Um, then the second part with and I, I like when you when you mess around with the tone a bit, when you uh, break the fourth wall, when you uh, do wonderfully strange interesting things. and uh, you know he's uh, telling us you know about the bootstrap paradox about what happens when the time traveler goes back in time and becomes that thing you're looking for. Um, I recommend a very famous novel of that by Michael Moorcock called Behold the Man. It is a classic uh, tale of that. Um, I I, I love this. I I, I love the rock and roll doctor aspect. I think the sonic screwdriver glasses are only nice because it comes with the persona. I think he's going to have the sonic screwdriver back uh, very soon. But the glasses are are, a nice addition, and I really love it going into a rock version uh, segueing of the Doctor Who theme. That was a nice little treat that they had. Um, We're back in 1980 now, going back in time to go to the origins of the problem. Um, It's a town taken over with the attitude of the Cold War, Uh, Russian posters all around. And we we meet the ghost that we had, who I thought was kind of Captain Ahab with a spear looking, and it's the cowardly alien race, which escapes. It escapes me if, if Dave or, or uh, Darth could uh, tell me that one,
5: if they remember. No. Okay. Cavoli.
1: What's thank the you. question?
0: No uh, yeah. no was the, the name of the race that that we that we've seen before uh, in the series and uh Kay did a really really uh fun little uh annoying performance as that and it um it, oh again bef- before this even happens and we 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 have some, with some nice communications going back and forth the different time between Clara and the doctor and the aspects of the doctor's mortality, Uh, once again, uh, you know, we have her uh, being wonderful, you know. Uh, uh, Coleman is is amazing, amazing. It was just uh, pulling at the heartstrings the way way she was. was very good in that. Um, he goes into the whole mystery about the origins, and we find it's, the markings are not on the ship. It, it is, it's a coffin. It's going to be a funeral service for an entity known as the Fisher King who wiped out uh, the alien's planet. And long story short, after a while, we, we get to see him, and he's rather formidable looking. It, get, it gets to the point of you know how is the doctor going to affect time, save himself, and save those there. Um, I really got depressing uh, for me a bit because I really was uh, invested in the Spanish character O'Donnell, and her death really hit me. It, it, it kind of soured the episode for me. That's just a personal thing as it went on because um, it seemed like, oh, it, I don't know, unnecessarily cruel that i'm gonna go and i'm going to save uh, clara but but she gets to be uh kind of the artful sacrifice uh of the piece in that he can't save anyone in her testing but i I guess that's the that's the point of it all uh he can't and uh there's casualties uh in the mixed in in uh in what he does um just uh so,
3: i forgot i should have really played the first clip prior to you starting. So let me just do that first because it it mentions that bootstrap thing that you started on about first. So give you time to catch your breath and we'll carry on with you.
1: So there's this man, he has a time machine. Up and down history he goes, zip 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 zip, getting into scripts. Another thing he has is a passion for the works of Ludwig van Beethoven. And one day he thinks, what's the point of having a time machine? You don't get to meet your heroes. So, off he goes to 18th century Germany. But he can't find Beethoven anywhere. No one's heard of him. Not even his family has any idea who the time traveler is talking about. Beethoven literally doesn't exist. This didn't happen, by the way. I've met Beethoven. Nice chap. Very intense. Something arm wrestle. No, this is called the Bootstrap Paradox. Google it. The time traveler panics. (laughs) He can't bear the thought of a world without the music of Beethoven. Luckily, he brought all of his Beethoven sheet music for Ludwig to sign. So he copies out all the concertos and the symphonies, and he gets them published. He becomes Beethoven. And history continues with barely a feather ruffled. My question is this. He put those notes and phrases together. Who really composed Beethoven?
3: Yeah, Ken, I should have preempted <laughs> hopefully not
0: Lovely Lovely lovely, Van <laughs> Very cute. Um the episode uh um sparks up a bit when we meet the the Fisher King himself. I I really like the uh design. It's it's a nod to alien. Uh there are other aspects of, of the episodes that there that are nods to that too. Um, I, I like the voice very much of uh, the monster. Um, evidently, this is done by the uh, same actor that portrayed Darth Maul. Uh, um,
3: Peter Serevanowicz or something. Yeah,
0: very effective.
3: S- very Serefino, striking. Bitch.
0: Um, I, I think a little more could have been done uh, with this creature and character. Um, it, it seemed. Uh, marginally used i i think that was the thing with the episode uh after the two parts it it left me with a bit of hollowness and all it was like i i i've seen this type of thing uh, before uh there were effective things it was enjoyable um the interaction of the crew was good i for the um Hearing impaired, um, Captain. The stalking scene uh, with the with the ghost with the hatchet was very good. Was uh, very effective. But Allen says is done. Um, it it kind of just ended summerly for me, and it's it's not something that's going to stay in my mind that I, I rewatch value that I can't wait to watch this again. There were were nice things in it, but, you know, compared to something uh, like Waters of Mars, which I adore, uh, that I would watch in instead of this. Um, I would give overall uh, both parts three and a half TARDIS groans. Uh, Good performances. um, Nice little... Romantic moments at the end there, uh, being unleashed, um, a sense of sadness, you know, for the victims that that was well done. But, um, I don't know, all in all, it left me a little hollow, left me a little hollow. Um, maybe it was the ghost underwater, or the, the whole thing. I, I don't know, but, um, you know, a lot of clever bits, uh, good acting and all, um, I'm looking very forward to next week.
3: And okay. Thank you. I'm just going to uh, unmute somebody, Donaldson, that's come in. Now, I don't think they've actually followed Dot2 online, but just out of politeness, we'll uh, unmute them and just say hello to them and then probably uh, may mute again. Hi, Donaldson. Uh, if You may be in a noisy environment, so what I will do is I. I will, hey, are you well? I, we're fine. We're in the middle of the show. Uh, I know from last week you said that um, you haven't been able to catch up to, so I uh, uh, just wanted to give you a chance to say hello, and then I'll probably remute you.
6: Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for taking me into this education of the Doctor Who, because I need it. Who doesn't need an education of the Doctor and the programming you know, okay. seriously, if you're, if, you're too, if you're too caught up on all the world's problems and you're not paying attention to Doctor Who, then you might have some serious issues. You might want to see a psychiatrist.
3: So. <laughs> okay, I'm going to meet you me me now. Okay, cheers, let me just do that. Uh, and um, let me go on to a second clip before we go to Jeff, who also hopefully will be able to mention uh, last week's episode as well as this. The
1: suspended animation chamber still here yeah, and the power cells for the engine. There are no markings on the yep. wall. Greetings. This hand, that's the ghost from the jungle. Yes. Remarkable. <gasps> oh. And humans, too. Alpha Prentice, funeral director. Hey, you're from Tivoli, aren't you? The most invaded planet in the galaxy. Our capital city has a sign saying, If you occupied us, You'd be home by now. Yes, I've had dealings with you a lot before. I can't say I'm a fan. No, we do tend to antagonize. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? Ah, oh, yes, of course. This is the King. He and his armies invaded Tivoli and enslaved us for ten glorious years <sighs> until we were liberated by the Arcadians. But, thank the gods, Soon we've irritated them so much, they enslaved us, too. <laughs> the first proper alien, and he's an idiot. And now, in accordance with our Catenian custom, I've come to bury him on a barren, savage You mean the town? He means the planet. Although, at the risk of starting a bidding war, you
3: could enslave. I thought that was a bit, a, bit, a bit unusual, but there we go. Jeff, um, your thoughts?
4: Well, considering the race, it doesn't seem out of place at all, But that that comment. But um, Yes, I, I wasn't on the show last week, uh, so I'll quickly say a little bit about last week's episode, Under the Lake. Uh, I, I felt it was very much like The Impossible Planet from Series 2. Uh, You had a base that's kind of cut off from everything and uh, uh, a group of people there and supernatural forces going on, language in a wall that isn't being translated by the TARDIS, uh, a lot of similarities to that story. Uh, I enjoyed the the ghost aspect of this story. You, You don't get that very much in Doctor Who and considering... The genre, you'd think you get a little bit more than we do, but uh, I, I enjoyed that part of it. Uh, I enjoyed the the need uh, to have a, of a translator, but I thought it was very, very convenient that we had this mm. cast character there on the base that that could read the lips. I know that uh, she struggled with it a bit, but. Um, you know, it's very difficult to read lips to begin with, but it, it was just very convenient to have a character that could do that. Um, I, I like the banter between the Doctor and Clara and the little cue cards, as Ken mentioned. Uh, the reference back to Sarah Jane was very good. Uh, I laughed out loud about that. Um, uh, so there was a lot here to like, and, and a lot of people that I seen talk about this episode uh, online, state that it was a slow episode, and I don't know where they're getting that. Um, I thought the, the, the episode flew by. I, I couldn't believe when it was um, getting about the end of the hour, watching this episode on BBC America, that it was at the almost at the end of the hour. I thought, wow, this episode just flew by. Where did that time go? Are, are you sure there, there isn't more coming? Uh, it just seemed like uh, that 50, that first 50 minutes of watching it was more like 25 or 30 minutes, and I was expecting another half yet that night. Um, something else I, I noticed on BBC America, and I don't know if anybody else caught it, or maybe it was just me, it seemed like they had more commercial breaks, that the, that the um, segments that they were showing were shorter, and they had more commercial breaks that were shorter in length.
0: It did seem that way.
4: And it, it did seem a little bit like that last night as well for the second part, although not as much. Um, but I'm glad that, uh, that you noticed that too, Ken. I, I thought I was kind of going crazy. It was, like
0: more cl- it was like at, at inopportune times too. I yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I I did enjoy that first part quite a bit. Uh, I I compared it to The Impossible Planet. I think I'd watch that one, though, more than this one. Um, And it's interesting. We are viewing these new episodes at my library a week after that they air on BBC America. And what we're doing is we're doing two hours' worth. We're watching... Something else um, before the the new episode, and we're trying to match it up with something that uh, that is kind of similar to the episode that we're viewing, the, n- the new episode. And originally, before knowing what this story was going to be like, I I had thought maybe we would watch the Unquiet Dead from Eccleston's first season because it had ghost-like entities in it. And after seeing this episode, I thought, well, you know, The Impossible Planet is much closer. And so I thought it would be more appropriate uh, if we were going to watch something similar to view that one first uh, and then see how this story diverges from that one in the second part. So that's what we did yesterday as we watched The Impossible Planet and then uh, after that, Under the Lake. And... uh, For Under the Lake, I would probably give it about a four, four out of five. And I have to say, for the first three episodes of a series, this is probably the best since Series 4. I I really believe that. Uh, I don't think we've had three consistently really good episodes to start a series since Series 4. So uh, kudos to the Doctor Who production in, uh, in creating these these wonderful episodes that we've had so far. Uh, now we get to Before the Flood, and before seeing the episode, uh, I had a suspicion of who was going to be in the chamber. I thought it was the doctor. I didn't know how he was going to get there or why, but I, I had a feeling it was going to be him. And the only thing that was running through my mind was, well, if he's in the chamber, how's the TARDIS going to get back uh, to the 22nd century. I wasn't sure how that was going to happen, but uh, it, it appeared that I was right—that the Doctor was in the chamber—and and I love how they did this uh, with with the the TARDIS itself uh, going forward in time, bringing uh, the the one character back with it. And uh, who was that character? Was it? Um, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the character's oh. name. I can't think of his name. Anybody uh, help me on that?
3: Um. Well,
4: yeah. A- anyway, I I, I like Bennett. how the episode started. I'm sorry. Bennett. Bennett. Okay. Thank you. I like how the the episode started. It was kind of unusual, and at first, it took me out of the episode, thinking, well where is this coming from? Why why is the doctor talking to the camera, breaking the fourth wall as it is? And watching it a second time this morning, I really digged it. I I, I like the idea of the doctor just uh, setting up the episode, basically, giving the idea of what happens uh, in a roundabout fashion. This bootstrap paradox is... As it's called, and I think there's a more scientific name for it. Um, I looked it up, but I can't remember what that is either. I feel a little un- underprepared this morning, um, but but I like the idea of, of that. And uh, well, who wrote who wrote the 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 music that Beethoven was supposedly the composer of? Uh, and supposedly that didn't happen. So uh, just kind of.
3: No, he said Uh, it's not true. He he said he said this is not true. He was using it as an illustrative.
5: Yeah,
4: yeah. He said it that that it wasn't true. He said that to the camera. But but I like the idea of using that to explain the the plot. And this isn't the first time that we've had that happen. We've uh, where the doctor just kind of talks to the camera, talks to the audience. Uh, We we saw that just last series uh, with listen and for some reason that episode didn't take me out of it like this one did the first time around and probably because it was the beginning of a story and you you could just say well the doctor was talking to himself but he was doing it pointed at the camera uh we didn't we weren't in the middle of a story quite yet in that in that episode where this one you know you're picking it up from part 1 and it, it it's, it did take you out, or it did for me anyway. Take, took me out of the episode at first, but but I did like the the idea of it the second time around. I liked the uh, the guitar music uh, for the the Doctor Who theme, and if you think about it, when when we get out of the credits, where is the Doctor? 1980. Well, the 1980 theme, if you will, kind of was a jazzed up guitar uh, guitarish type theme, so it, it kind of fit, it, it kind of had a nice flow to it uh, to do that. I like the mention of the prior companions from O'Donnell. Uh, she mentioned uh, Rose Tyler, Martha, and Amy, and she also mentioned other things like uh, Harold Saxon, the, the moon blowing up, and She also mentioned the Minister of War, and I'm kind of wondering, well, where's this going to come from? Is this something uh, that we're going to see, some sort of foreshadowing?
3: Well, I think Uh, so, yeah. The doctor says, don't tell me, I'll find out, meaning that, yeah.
4: Exactly, exactly. Maybe a friend of the terrible Zodin. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully they're connected some way, Ken. (laughs) But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully the, uh, we won't have to wait, you know, ten seasons or something before we we find out what this Minister of War is. Um, the, there wasn't a whole lot of plot to this. I, I didn't feel uh, for for a two-parter story, it, it felt kind of stretched a bit, but it, it didn't feel like it was slow in any way. Uh, and I know that seems kind of contradictory. Maybe it's timey-wimey. I don't know. But uh, it, it felt like it moved right along, even though there wasn't a whole lot of plot. Uh, I like the look of this uh, Fisher King. I was surprised of the name of it. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure why they picked that name. The, the one thing that confused me, though, is they They trapped these ghosts in in the chamber, and supposedly they couldn't get out uh in the faraday cage they, but there were controls inside that they could have manipulated to get out. Why didn't they do that i mean they they sent this this Morris code message to get the submarine down there to the base. Uh, so that they could uh, get more people and kill them and and that sort of thing and get this message out. Why didn't they uh, use the controls inside of the cage in order to get out? That left me a little bit confused. I think that's a little bit of a plot hole.
3: Unless there was an extra lock put from the outside, because the the ghost doctor is the one that ends up unlocking it, isn't he?
4: Yeah, he is, but, but... um they were trapped in or they they went inside the cage the the alive what I mean people, is people he, are alive. He,
3: he was a ghost like them at that point, and he was able to operate the controls, so it may well be that the the controls inside the Faraday's cage had been locked out, not that they couldn't operate them well,
4: that's a possibility I didn't think of that
3: but but yeah, yeah uh
4: I liked how the doctor kind of um. Faked out the Fisher King by telling him that he had already changed things, took the writing off the wall, and didn't do that. It was it was just a ruse, um, in order to to plant the the explosive. Now, speaking of the explosive, I wasn't too impressed by that. It, it when it went off, it didn't seem like it was much of an explosion, uh, but it it was enough, I guess, uh, to break the dam,
3: weaken it, yeah
4: and flood flood the area. Um, But I was expecting more of an explosion, especially when in the first part we had the doctor saying, well, it was powerful enough to get a spaceship from one end of the galaxy to the other. I I was expecting more from that explosion. It it seemed pretty weak. But um, overall, I I liked it. I I liked the, the... I don't think the doctor really changed the future at all. Um, At first it seemed like he did, uh, but when it all worked out, when it was all explained, that uh, I I don't think he actually did change the future in any way. It just played out the way it was supposed to. And I I don't think that uh, he could have saved the future well, it, it, uh, he changed
3: it in regards to himself i mean all the ones that had died before him were still dead so he didn't change that yes. uh, and just Clara else so. uh, and it didn't get as far as clara and the other ones were just random names or their order was random but but the fact that there's still the um, the contradiction of we see the doctor in the water outside but as that ghost, wasn't really and a the ghost
4: con- it wasn't a uh, ghost uh, though.
3: Oh, it was a so oh, that was right. He said he sent the hologram. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of explanation. I think I mentioned before we started that I didn't particularly. Well, I'll talk my turn later. But yeah, the the explanation was there, but it was pretty quickly covered over. You had you had to be listening intently. Anyway, go on. Sorry.
4: But uh, yeah, I. I enjoyed the two-parter. I thought that the first part was a little bit stronger than the second, uh, but not by much. Um, As I mentioned, I gave the first part a four. I'd probably give a three and three-quarter for the second part. And overall, you know, it's probably right in that area, three and three-quarter, four. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, And again, bravo to the production team, um, the writing staff, the uh, people directing these these episodes, uh, four strong episodes to start the series. Uh, I don't think we've had that, again, since series four. So uh, excellent job, and I, I just wish that the initial audience figures were higher in the U.K. I, I know you have a lot of sports uh, going on over there at the, at the moment that's airing about the same time or earlier, and it's causing the delay in broadcast of Doctor Who. Uh, hopefully, when this is all over, uh, people will start viewing on the initial airing, and those figures will go up. And I know these uh, the the downloads and all that are are still strong. So when you combine all that, it's still having a high audience figure. Uh, it, it would just be nice if it was high on the first airing. And I have to say, the the other thing of this is uh, about the audience levels. They are very high here in the United States, so got to be pleased with that. And that's mm-hmm. my little bit. So, Jeff, yes, Ken. the
0: ratings were higher for this one than the first part, so that's nice.
4: Oh, good, good. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And Dave, we have Donaldson. Uh, he wants to be unmuted.
3: So yeah, I, I was just wait, you know right. yeah, I was just waiting till you got to the end of your bit
4: and I, I think I'm at the end, so...
3: Okay, well, just run Alan Newt Donaldson, we'll just uh, take a word from him. Uh, let me read what Cybob has put out, and then I'll be going to a clip, and then we'll go to uh, Dr. Gonzo. Uh, but uh has put, uh, uh, couldn't you say that the whole episode is a bootstrap paradox? Uh, because the last line in which the Doctor mentions the Beethoven thing could pick up back to the beginning of the episode and explained that the doctor was talking to Clara all the time. I don't know that, but it does parallel to me, to my mind, a little bit about how, how we went with the um, the earlier 2 parts with the, uh, you know, the, um, the par- well, not the paradox, but the, uh, the dilemma that the doctor was facing about whether to shoot the young boy or not, and then that coming back to that. So uh, let me just do this little unmute and uh, see if uh, we've got, an on Dalek remark. Hi Donaldson, is there something you wanted to add on that?
6: I was looking at the Wikipedia for this late episode that you're talking about, the Fisher King. I and I, I liked I liked actually um, the the, the storyline. So just from looking at the previous uh, episodes, and I've learned about this just from this call, you know, this series huh? and uh, so it's, it's been qu- quite fun, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, that the that the doctor was a hologram projecting himself out using glasses, you know, from his stasis chamber, which uh, which is kind of tricky, you know. It's like I, for a second everyone thinks he's a ghost, and then it turns out he's a hologram, so he's really well, I- in control of. Of things. Um,
3: There's a little bit of debate about this because unfortunately using that as a prop covers his eyes So, um, although it, it, it's a neat gadget and it's replacing what was called the sonic screwdriver that uh, he, he says he's not using anymore from the beginning of this series but um, unfortunately although it may serve the recent stories we've had to me uh, anyway uh, because when he wears it you know, you can't see the actor's eyes. Uh, I'm hoping that it will get um, forgotten about at some point, but it, it is useful.
6: It, question, Dave, what, what is the, uh, re, why does the doctor erase the people's minds from, from the writing? Why do you think he uh, he's, you know to what stop, I
3: mean? To stop them falling under the influence of this Fisher King again, because it's okay. planted within their DNA, so... Uh, you know that's why they also at the end they say um, that the, uh, the 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 spaceship uh, that he says he arranges that unit will will take it away so no air, no one can accidentally read those words again because the they, they're, they're like a brainwashing thing those words unfortunately some of their peripheral mem- memories were lost at the same time so uh, but it was a necessary thing for him to do
6: and I'm a little confused are the words that they were writing about. Referencing the beethoven's fifth is that is that or is that no, something separate?
3: no no that's just an analogy that the doctor makes at the beginning that the sequence of events may not follow the normal timeline because right. in this story, the second part the events in time wise happen before the first part as influence, and the point is of the story and, and hopefully you will will check them both out is can can he have changed things when the things have already happened, um, that was one of the things that Jeff was debating. That uh, th- we, think, we think he's kept the fine line of things that had happened before he arrived at the earlier time. He didn't change, but the things did. that happened in in the, the later time after he arrived, he couldn't change. And I'm going to stop talking. That. I am going to say. Well, let me say this uh, for the-
6: uh, because oh, I think crazy. they brought up, they really brought out the humanity of the doctor when, when uh, you know, they created this, this that 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 whole line which you just what you just mentioned a second ago, where he's like blocking out their thoughts so that they don't have any memories of it and stuff. He's like protecting them. And in closing, for me on my comment here, uh, just I, I read here in the Wikipedia for this episode that they the tr- the Tivolian Mortician Prentice he's got business cards with the motto may may the remorse be with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
6: So I kind of like that. I thought I'd bring that up and say that they yeah, say in ca- Wikipedia that it's a pun
3: Yeah, Cybob uh, mentioned that in text as well. So thank you for cyber. Thank you, John So I am going to be you now again, but thanks for your contribution uh, and while I do that and uh, so we can hear because of that sound um, there has been a little bit of debate about um, the doctor always seems to fire into action when Clara's life is at stake. He, he, he has humanity where she's concerned. Uh, other people may be a little bit more disposable. But um, let me play another clip, then we'll go to um, Dr. Gonzo. Thank you for waiting, and uh, we'll go with this.
1: How do I look? Any signs of trauma, any scars, any clues how I've died? No, Nothing. You're the same as all the other guys with the weird black eyes and... No. No, wait. It's your coat. It's torn, the right shoulder. I, I assume that I'm just saying the same thing as the others. No. You're saying a list of names, our names mainly. Moran, Pritchard, Prentice O'Donnell, Clara, Dr. Bennett, Cass. Who's Prentice?
5: The faced chap. <laughs>
1: What's the matter? Clara, what's happening? You've moved inside. You're inside here now. What am I doing? Uh. Nothing. You're, you're, you're just standing there. I'm not trying to kill you. Why, why am I not trying to kill you? No, oh, wait, you're moving. Going toward the control panel. <coughs> um, He's opened the Faraday cage. He's let the other ghosts out. Diana, I need to talk to me now. But well, can you hear me? You just opened the Faraday cage. The ghosts are outside. Shouldn't we be hiding? Wait a minute. I need to talk to the ghost me. Okay. Doctor, you're on. Doctor. Listen, I've always
3: been a huge admirer. This is a delightful. Finally, someone worth
1: talking to.
3: <laughs> and that—that uh, that was a bit. You were. Do you just want to come back on that a little bit, Jeff? Before we go to Doctor Gonzo. Uh,
4: no, I don't think I have anything else to say on that. Um, the I, Faraday
3: I, cage thing. Yeah. N-
4: no,
5: I think you can go to Doctor Gonzo.
3: Okay. Thank you for waiting. Um, your thoughts.
5: Uh, I'll start. I'll start where we're at. Um, with the Doctor about to unlock the Faraday cage. Uh, being that he was a hologram and not one of these energy ghosts, it's it's kind of interesting that he was able to do it, and I was going to have a negative comment on that, but it's probably just the glasses manipulating things the way they can.
3: Didn't you mention uh, Hard Light or something? Or am I getting mixed up with Red Dwarf? That wasn't me. No, no, not you. Um, oh. I, I can't remember whether in, in in part one of the story... He mentioned something about hard light or something, but maybe I'm misremembering.
2: I, I think that's your red dwarf coming out.
3: That's my red dwarf coming <laughs> out. My inner dwarf, right, okay. <laughs> Sorry.
5: That's fine. Uh, so so I, I'm guessing it's just the glasses manipulating technology the way sonic devices can do. So uh, I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, the opening music, I really liked the uh, the guitar traces being added to the opening song. I thought that was a nice touch. Um the bootstrap conversation uh, where he's talking, I, I think he's talking to Clara because the end of the episode ended similar to that way. I, I think it's kind of interesting he's talking about uh, Beethoven in this um, theoretical way when in Vincent and the Doctor, Amy brings Vincent to see his artworks, including things he hadn't created yet. And I remember when the episode came out, a lot of the comments were, uh, you know, similar to a bootstrap paradox, you know, did they did they influence him in creating the things that he did? Um, so I, I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, in this, we, we actually see the Doctor directly kill an enemy, uh, rightfully so, but it's, it's a little out of character for him. He's only done it, uh, you know, a handful of times with his own actions. Uh, and the last time, I think it was an android uh, that became sentient. So um, it's, it's a bit interesting to me.
3: Um, oh, the one that from... got him the one that got impaled you mean uh, yes. yeah I, I mean how often do you see him directly yeah you know,
5: you know, kill uh an enemy uh, i I knew from the beginning well, well at least since we saw that uh, that capsule that uh, I knew the doctor was going to be in there um so it was, it was sadly a little bit predictable, but I still enjoyed that And um, mm. watching the uh, the the extra afterwards i, I they mentioned how they decided to write the story. And they basically said, we want to do a ghost story. And they kind of let the details fall in after that. And I think you could see it a little bit in watching the show. I still think they did a good job pulling it off. Um, But I would agree that I I enjoyed the first part a lot better than the second. And it could have probably been a one-parter. And I do enjoy two-parters, but I I, I think there was, you know, enough story for a one-parter, maybe a little longer um, but for a two-parter, I think it, it it left the second episode a little a little empty for my for my taste.
3: And I think the cost of the sets probably forced it to be a two-parter. But maybe you're right. The, the, it seemed a weaker second half to me. But anyway, uh, did, did, I can't remember you 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 weren't able to comment on part one, but you definitely enjoyed part one. I enjoyed
5: part one, and I'm I'm watching this uh, specific se- series a little bit differently. Um, for the last few years, I would watch them first the night before, and then I'd I'd screen them again with my daughter the next morning. She's nine now, and we're watching them together. Uh right. when they come, you know, when we download them, we're getting them off of iTunes now. But we watch them together Sunday morning, and um, it's 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 a little interesting to watch it that way because. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess I'm not afraid of the ghost stories frightening her anymore. But it's uh, it's it's definitely a little different viewing for me. Uh, but I, I did enjoy the first one a lot.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's been a a, a few reactions uh, where. Well, I mean, obviously, it's got to appeal to a, a great uh, range of uh, people. I mean, I I thought the the bootstrap thing at either end was a bit superfluous, but. On the other hand, uh, not not because I'm a fait with the idea, but uh, well, I don't particularly like them talking directly to camera anyway. But um, uh, maybe for younger people, well, could could you encapsulate what your daughter thought of it? I mean, was she more enthusiastic about the story as a whole? Or?
5: Yeah, she she was enthusiastic to the point that she started watching it without me three times, and I had to stop her. Uh, <laughs> she she, she, def, she definitely enjoyed it. And um, she she through the whole thing as we're running. Um, sadly, we don't have commercial breaks to do this, so she's doing it while the episode's on. Um, but she's talking about how uh, you know she knows why you know they they uh, the ghosts were not going after the uh, the one translator, and you know it's because he didn't look at the words and all that. And so she's going through this, and she's following it really well. So it's definitely she's not missing it, and and she definitely liked it. It was scary enough for her. Uh, right. So you know, so there was something to be risked. So you know, the the ghost doctor at the end of the last episode um, definitely had her eager to get to the next one. And, and I have to say, the uh, the cliffhangers, uh, I I I could definitely do with them. It's um, it's it, it's it's a really nice addition to have them back into the show, and really does bring it back to its roots.
3: Good. Oh yeah. Thank you for those insights and thoughts. Okay. Um, just pop your head in I mean I I won't reference you perhaps again because I'll play another clip and we'll go to Darth but if you feel as like you want to contribute and just add a salient point then please do so Um, let me uh, go to the next little short clip
1: you will be a strong beacon
3: how many boasts can I make
1: of you you know you've got lots in common with the devolians you'll both do anything to survive don't surrender to anyone you will hijack other people's souls and turn them into electromagnetic projections. That will to endure. That refusal to ever cease. That's extraordinary. And it makes us fellow think, because you know what? If all I have to do to survive is tweak the future a bit... What's stopping me? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The ripple effect. Maybe it will mean that the, the, the universe will be ruled by cats or something in the future. But the way I see it, even a ghastly future is better than no future at all. You robbed those people of their deaths. Made them nothing more than a message in a bottle. You violated something more important than time. You bent the rules of life. Yes. So I, pushing things straight.
3: Here. Now. This is where your story ends. See? Red Dwarf again. Planet of Cats. He oh, mm-hmm. was right. <laughs> dwarf, please, if you would.
2: Yeah, that does kind of make you think whether uh, the Dwarf Doctor is equally as disenamored of cats as the tin Doctor was in fear of her. Uh, knew that we would be talking about fear in today's episode. Oh. Um, you know, this is an interesting uh, resolution to a two-parter. I have to be frank and admit that I um, watched it on iPlayer in a way that probably I'm not supposed to do uh, last night, and I could not concentrate on it at all. I found it, especially once you hit about – you know, the last eight minutes and the, the explanation of what the hell had happened what's was going on. I was just, like, totally lost. I couldn't get my mind to grip on anything that was going on. And um, when I watched it today on iTunes, um, because I was not going to stay up until, you know, 9 p.m. yesterday, which is when it usually comes out, because I have had a horrendously uh, difficult week.
4: Um, Darth, your volume is a little bit low. Uh, it probably is. Let's see if that helps
2: you out a little bit there. Um, is that a little bit better for you.
3: Better, thank you. Yes. Okay.
2: Um. Yeah. Uh, w- when I watched it day after having slept a lot, uh, it made more sense to me, and and yet I still am left with this feeling of I don't know. Uh, time-travel cleverness that really, at the end of the day, wasn't terribly satisfying at the end. Um, and yet there are many admirable things about this episode. Let's. So let me reverse what I did last week and go with the admirable stuff first and maybe get into the crap later. Um, one of the things that Doctor is always supposed to have been doing is to... to teach kids things. And I think one of the more interesting things about this particular story is the way in which it is um, got a lot of metaphors for the arts. Um, The aside at the beginning is very interesting because Doctor Who has a curious sort of history with breaking the fourth wall. Um, In the classic era, it largely was done because the actor went off script, right? Right. And so Tom Baker in Invasion of Time turns to the camera and says, "Even the sonic screwdriver won't get me out of this." Or William Hartnell at the end of whatever that was.
5: Uh,
2: oh, at Feast of Stephen, um, says you know, pops out of the dalek and apparently turns to the camera and says, "You know, and a very happy Christmas to you too." Now that's one thing. That's that's not really that's that's breaking the fourth wall, but not for any sort of literary good. What's happening here at the very beginning is very interesting, and I don't particularly buy the notion that was just recently mooted, that the end of the episode proves that at the beginning of the episode he was talking to Clara, but Clara was just not in shot. Uh, uh, No, I think it is just a literary aside. This is, um, for kids who have just been studying a little bit of Shakespeare, this is Puck, right? Midsummer Night's Dream, um, giving some sort of uh, comical clarification to what is going on. Um, and that's fine because used in that way, then it's um, you know it follows a Greek tradition in literature. Um, interesting though, just because Doctor Who hasn't done it that much, but uh, that I'm pretty sure is really what Toby Woodhouse was thinking. Was like, well, if Shakespeare can do it, then why can we not do it here? And then of course the whole Fisher King thing is you know that's Arthurian legend and uh, Celtic myth all wrapped into one sort of thing, and, and basically this follows in two separate ways, um, both in the design of the creature, the, the Fisher King, and then in the conceit of the creature, follows Arthurian legend. Um, in that, you know, you have a, a king who is immobilized, essentially, um, who is having to use um you know, familiars, is having to use other people um, to sort of resurrect him, to get him back into a state of mobility. And so in that way, you know, it it follows a particular literary tradition. It also, if you look at the design of the creature and the fact of those faces, which are unmistakably vaginal, um, that's a... A part of the Fisher King uh, mythos too, because the Fisher King uh, was supposed to have been you know gravely wounded so that um, he was castrated more or less or at least made permanently impotent and so feminized and so this, uh, this you know sort of horrible creature is at its very heart um, quite literally feminized It's an interesting design choice. Uh, and frankly, I didn't really like it, Uh, not just that. I mean, I liked it in that it was echoing what the Fisher King was supposed to be, but just overall, that whole design was, I thought, more from, I don't know, 80s Doctor Who than it was from uh, Moffat Doctor Who. Um, And I think one of the reasons that the creature was used as sparingly as it was, and most of the time in Shadows, was just because actually not so good you know, uh, and trying to limit maybe the the fact that the design didn't in the end pan out as well as it could have done or did on the drawing table. So I, I don't know. I don't know how happy I am with just in general for the plot, but it ended with this this creature. Um, I also don't, but, you know, it, whatever, it, it, worked as a sort of plot thing and it it worked as a method to teach kids things and and certainly you know I would be enthusiastic about the the example of um Beethoven you know and and that with the the causal loop explanation um all, all that and then of course last week we didn't really touch upon the fact of you know the astronomy lesson that we got within um you know explaining what the you know, four words were supposed to be and how they were a beacon. That, too, is all from Fisher King mythology. So, in in that sense, if you're sort of a fan of literature, it makes sense because it's Clara. Clara's an English lit teacher. So, there should be sort of heavy English lit in here. Um, it's something potentially that you would imagine maybe. Uh, back in the 70s when they used to do teaching units in British schools where they would send out material to teachers and say, well, you know, in last week's Doctor Who, you heard about, you know, this. if you're talking about the Graham-Williams era, you heard about this particular mythology that was in Underworld or whatever. So let's talk about the Greek mythology that Underworld is based on because they used to do that sort of thing. Um, And and you can imagine – I don't know if they really would still do that, but you can imagine that they might do it and that an intelligent teacher might, if they had time to teach away from the required curriculum, might say, hey, let's take, you know, if you saw Dr. Who this last week, uh, let's talk about some of the things that were in that. And you you could actually use this two-parter to do some um, fairly interesting, I think, conversations in a classroom setting, which is great. I mean, that is one of the things that Dr. Who is always supposed to do for people. And I think another great thing is sort of the intelligent use of romance. You know, uh, the Moffat era has been sort of lousy in both senses of that word, that is, you know, full of and both bad at um, descriptions of love, I think. Uh, you know, certainly in the Matt Smith era, the father-son relationship was well overused. The power of love to solve the situation as we had in closing, time. actually as we had in both um things starring Craig or whatever. Um, but here it's a much more adult and intelligent thing with lots of nice little echoes. You know, what is the nature of the love relationship that Clara has with a doctor that's explicitly, you know, uh, brought out for the first time in the in the Capaldi era, you know, Clara saying, If you love me at all in whatever capacity and, you love me anyway, anyway.
3: yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Then this is what you'll do to me. And it's not fair that, you know, there's just a sort of uh, Halting reference back to, or halted reference back to Danny and how she believes that the doctor owes her for the fact that Danny's dead. I mean, that's pretty uh, interesting and fascinating, kind of wild um, that that's happening. Um, and then, you know, the dual nature of the two adult relationships that are going on here. Um, you know one is a failed love, and yet from that love comes uh or from that failure comes the ultimate success of the other love that 's going on here and We see in this episode, although it is very convenient let 's not forget it is very convenient that the um deaf character that there is a deaf character here at all, so that you can have lip reading going on and I, and I have great issue with that and think. That you can you can use deaf characters in much more intelligent ways than that. Um, but it's it is interesting that it's not just that's not that the only utility of the deaf characters of the plot, but also you know the, the, uh, there is this you know romantic relationship that finally gets requited apparently, um, and and so I like that I like the fact that you you had a sort of mature examination of three different couples. And what their relationship was to each other, and um, so I, I'm I'm really happy with that part of it. Um, I think there were also some very good lines that were mainly toward the beginning of the episode. But I do think you know ultimately I am left uh, a little bit cold, even after the second watch clarified things a little bit for me. I, I'm left cold by the ending. Um, it is not as neat and as fun a Use of Bootstrap Paradox as, say, Blink or certainly, um, oh, I don't know, um, Time Crash, for instance, to note a very brief one, or even Space and Time. You know, Uh, there is a sense in which Bootstrap Paradox works a lot better as a bit of comedy than it does as a, a serious dramatic concept, a little bit that you can dispense with it really quickly in comedy and you don't think about it too much It's all for the gag. And as a gag, I think it works better than something that you put under the microscope and think, how is this drama working out? Um, I, I don't know. The, the explanation at the end, or the fact that you have this deconstruction of the episode by the characters within it, in one part, leaves me cold because that's what you do with the Nagatha Christie mystery, or that's what you do with the murder she wrote, or whatever. And I don't like those, you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't ever watch, you know, Diagnosis Murder or any of those sort of shows designed to give an aging star somewhere still to work. Um, no offense to Dick Van Dyke, but let's face it, that's what happened. Um, you know, uh, there's that, there's also, uh, you know, it just, it just feels rushed and, you know, you have to think about, well, okay, how did the TARDIS get back? Oh, that was the purpose of whatever it is, emergency protocol alpha or whatever the Mm. the excuse to do the, the hologram with another doctor. Um, And, you know, it just – it's not that it doesn't make some kind of sense, but it's also – it leaves you with questions. It leaves you with the question of, all right, if he can change history in the sense that he stops the Fisher King from, in the future, um, having his ghost successfully inform the universe of the location of the Fisher King and, therefore, you know – uh the unfolding of a plot that will take over earth and enslave humans. If he can do that much, why doesn't he go back just a little bit and have, you know, those ghosts not become ghosts at all? What's the, what's the net difference in time or to time if, you know, five people don't become ghosts? I don't I don't understand it. I don't see what, you know, cuz the whole episode he's talking about time ripples, right? what would be the ripples if, you know, Donaldson was left alive. I mean, perfectly alive. I don't get it
0: really. Yeah. That bothers um, me. That bothers me a lot.
2: Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, and the reason that it bothers is because it's brought up, right? If he had never brought it up, if there wasn't that, you know, I, I think the thing really unravels at eight minutes in, I still think because is eight minutes in is, or eight minutes left to go rather. Um, it's just where all these explanations start happening. It may even start to unravel a little bit at the halfway mark, where the doctor tries to materialize away from the event and still comes back into it.
0: It made the victory but, seem hollow to me.
2: Um. Well, no. I mean, it's not a pyrrhic victory. It, it's it is a real,
0: genuine victory. Five yeah, people for the cost of billions. You Still have those those who didn't survive, and that. Uh, would, well, I, I mean, she was such I, a delight. Donaldson was such a delightful well, character, I thought.
2: Well, but you no, know, but but that uh, the reason that I am kind of okay with it, even though I got a question about it, is because it's the death of Donaldson that leads Bennett to then, well, that leads that leads Clara to then help Bennett to understand that he's still got to go on, and then Bennett has the knock-on effect of telling,
0: you know, and then the they'll be together, yeah.
2: yeah, right. I mean, it 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 has the payoff, um, but at the same time. <laughs> I don't really understand why he can't just go back and – but, I mean, this is the thing with Doctor Who in general. There, there are many times where you would imagine that the Doctor could go back just a little bit more and, and stop things from happening. And he doesn't. And when he, when he questioned as to why he doesn't, he says, "Well, I'm part of events then." And indeed, you have that phrase in this episode. I was a part of events. I couldn't get out of my, you know. Yeah. Well, it so reduces. That.
3: If he can always save people, it reduces the jeopardy. So, and I think what happened was the 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 people. Had, well, you all know it. The, the people had already been changed into ghosts before he gets into the TARDIS. He can't save. He can only prevent more once he becomes part of that time thing too. Uh, and welcome, let me just yeah. welcome Willis Girl here on audio, who apparently did like the episode, so nothing to complain about, nothing to criticise, so um, I think that means she does not yeah. have anything to, to add in the conversation about it, but did enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, sorry. No,
2: no, um, but um, I don't know, I mean, another thing that really bugged me about the episode that I just Didn't understand was what was the point of it being in a um, town that was manufactured to look like a city in the Soviet Union? What was the point of that? Except that it gave the design department, I guess, an opportunity to use some cool signs or make some cool signs. But it seemed like it
3: was. It meant there was no because it was an ex army sort of site he didn't have to worry about killing locals while he was killing this creature it was a deserted valley because it was like uh, you know uh, army an uh, an old army base therefore he didn't have to worry about people in 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 cottages in the surrounding valley also being drowned
2: yeah i suppose but then he could have said well, well first of all <laughs> that part poses a problem because it's 1980 it is the height of the cold war why is there no one there? I mean, what was it built for if not to be used during the Cold War? Um, so that's a little weird. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, it could have, that point that you make is a good one, except that it could have been addressed another way and just said it is just a regular army base that has been, you know,
3: yeah. I you bit, know I mean, pinched mean, when, when I saw the, the plastic mannequin in the phone box, I thought, oh, we're going to have the Nestines in this now.
1: Well, there's that thought,
2: I suppose. Um, well, I mean, it, it, what's interesting is, even though I think that makes no sense, um, there are some lovely design touches that are done here. In the, it, it, Just to go that one step further to sort of show that it is something that was made by Britain's uh, – one thing is the, the onion domes on the church. Right. At first when you see them you think, Wow, that's pretty that's a lot of detailed work. But then there's another shot where they go in a little bit closer and you see it's just tin that's been, you know, wrapped around. It's clearly not the real thing. It's just a thing to suggest that this is Russia. Um which I thought I thought that was a nice touch. If you're gonna do that, do that, but I still don't understand why you do it. But um you know, overall I think that this is a thing that just is uh, indicative right, it of, stay,
3: it of
2: right, Toby. W- I thought, yeah. Well, I think I think it is indicative of Toby Woodhouse's more recent work for Doctor Who, in that he's become a lot like Phil Ford for me. Um, wherein there's an interesting thing that's posed that lasts for most of the story, but then the conclusion is just not exactly. Uh, inadequate to the story. It's just so dumb. Cl- I mean, or, uh, Yeah, I mean, like, Vampires of Venice, it's flipping a switch. That's the climax of the story. You know, after this huge, interesting setup, it becomes about just this thing at the end that is sort of sleight of hand explained away. And that's sort of here. You know, it's clear that he's, you know, maybe worked from the back of the story to the front of it. And I don't know. It just doesn't work out, and, and God complex, you know that too is um, this thing that kind of ends in the this weird place that's not exactly the Naimon, but is sort of the Naimon, and is this spaceship that's in the back? You know, it's just a weird last eight minutes, ten minutes, I guess there. And it's uh, been, you know, it's just been a long time. Even town called Mercy, you know, which is probably his best work since school reunion. I think that that ends, at, you know, in a really weird place where the doctor, the other doctor, the alien doctor says, uh, you know, after the whole episode trying to suggest that he is going to do anything to stay alive, just sort of capitulates and says, okay, I guess you're right. I guess I should just go off and, you know, do the noble thing and kill myself and that'll help out these people. here." You know, it's just... Something about Toby Woodhouse's work – I don't know if it's him or if it's just – he pitches an idea, and then it turns out they don't have time to do it. Although this is a two-parter, so why couldn't you have had the time to do it? I don't know. There's just something about his work um, that in the last little bit just doesn't quite make it. I mean, this is – you can tell that he's trying to hit into the same ballpark that Blink plays in, but it's not quite good enough. It's not as good as Blink is, you know, and – uh, it, it's a very weird thing too for an episode of Doctor Who um, to genuinely end in the TARDIS. Now I'm not gonna say you, you don't have Denouement in, in the side of the TARDIS. That happens with some kind of regularity. But for the story to not be really finished until you go in the TARDIS and have this, you know, long pointer scene um, at the end, that is just so weird and dramatically unsatisfying. And so, yeah, I don't know, I th- man.
3: I think it might have been better as a, a one-hour extended episode than a two-parter. But there you go. Um, no,
2: I, mean, I don't. I, I disagree with that. I think that it absolutely. I mean, it's quite clear what they're doing, and they're being very smart from a production standpoint, and they're doing exactly what they did in you know season seven in 1969 production year they're um they're doing these multi part stories to save money, oh yeah, that's absolutely a- what a- absolutely absolutely is, uh, what they're doing and and there's nothing wrong with that um and i and to be honest, I was all with this episode really until i you know the last thing it just needed to figure out a way to be more clever about that ending so that the ending was not here's the scene um in the um, in the in the inside the like lunch room I get I don't know there's there's like one concrete, part of the, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 there's one part of the resolution that's there there's another part of the resolution or explanation of what happened uh, when he's with the like the glasses doing the glasses bit to make their memories zap away there's another part of the resolution when Bennett you know does his emotional scene then there's another part of the resolution it's like the damn end of the
3: Return of, Return of the King,
2: sort of. Yeah, except except Lord of the Rings has more justification to do that. I mean, that's what's in the book, so you know you're yeah. going to do that. But this is just like you know. Let me explain this bit here, that bit there, that bit there, and the whole last bit of it is nothing but explain exposition. It ends <laughs> in exposition, which is so weird, and and very unsatisfying.
3: Okay, uh, thanks for that, Daph. Let me play another mm. clip, and then uh, I'll. I'll... Say a few little bits.
1: So what was it? Your ghost. A hologram, like the one we made of you to lure the ghost into the Faraday cage. The zone of artificial intelligence. and A few pre-recorded phrases. For ah. All beamed from the sonic glasses. As soon as you brought me and the chamber on board, it connected with the base's Wi-Fi. Bob's your uncle. The ghost. Why did they only come out at night? Because their electromagnetic projections are put out a phase with the base's gamer. Right. That's it. I've erased the memory of the writing. Well, you might find you've lost a couple of other memories, too. You know, like people you went to school with or previous addresses or how to drink liquors.
3: Uh, uh, I must wear Sonic's glasses a lot, then. (laughs) Um, I I, I was disappointed. I mean, having said that, um, I still... We'll be watching this one more time, if not least uh, for the commentary. And it may pick up... I mean, the first part under the lake I I, I was not enamoured with the first time. Just to go back to what Jeff was saying, um, uh, I thought um, when I first watched the first part, that you said it seemed to go very quickly. I thought there was quite a lot of repetition. They seemed to be uh, doing things. In fact, it, it almost makes sense to me that they said... You said that BBC America had a lot of advert breaks because every every twenty words they seemed to be saying the same twenty words again. Shortly after it, uh, and I was almost playing pick where they put the advert uh, in the storyline, and I think it lent itself to that. Um, so, uh, and I think that I think we had a bit of an unevenness. I think we virtually had two thirds of the content in part one. Uh, and i just don't think there was enough content in part 2 and they they solved that by having um, a lot of this uh, extra material I, I didn't particularly like this uh, bit at the beginning with the doctor talking and uh, at the end the bookends although having said that i'll tell you a contrary person because parts episodes 1 and 2 for me some of the best bits were the bookends uh, you know on that field with the young Davros ross and the doctor's dilemma. To me, those that, <laughs> that the the bit in the middle uh, was the filling, but, but it, to me, the, it was the bookends that they were they, they were a really great part of it. But in this case, I, I didn't particularly like them. Um, I think there was an awful lot that uh, passed me by, and I was certainly confused. I, mean, I must admit, I'd come back uh, from watching The Martian at the cinema in three D, which I thought was fabulous. Uh, and downed a few pints of Guinness, celebrating and talking about it afterwards. But uh, I do feel as though this, um, there was a lot of throwaway material here that to, you had to clock very carefully to make sense of that second half. Uh, and if anybody, uh, I mean, will Girl has enjoyed it. Maybe that's on one viewing, I don't know. Uh, but I do feel as though it, it will require some more viewing. But all in all, I think it was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, before I play one more clip and then ask uh, Jeff and maybe Dr. Gonzo and Ken if they want to have any comeback on what they've thought of since, uh, let me just go back to the uh, Cult Collective Cult uh, page on Facebook. Uh, let me just read a couple of things. Um, Perry uh, liked it. Uh, the whole bootstrap paradox made me think of Blink. Uh, and who wrote the, uh, the conversation on the DVDs? Um... Colin hicks uh before the flood review uh, after rewatch uh, episode three went up to a four out of five. The episode started off in an unusual way with a fourth war break uh which does not sorry after rewatching this, the third episode went up, but he's now talking about this the fourth episode. Uh, this episode started in an unusual way with the fourth wall break, which does not often go down well with fans. Um, but I liked it because it was different. Love the guitar riff at the opening credits. As for the rest of the episode, I'm still trying to untangle the timey-wiminess of it. Did the Doctor actually break the laws of time? Pretty much in accord with what some of us have been saying today. But I was genuinely upset over the character death of O'Donnell. I thought this character had great potential. I first noticed her during my uh, episode 3 rewatch. In fact, I had just blinded her up to be a replacement... Clara, so her death did put a pall over the rest of the story for me. It also seemed to show up the callousness of the second doctor in that he was willing to change history for Clara, but not for this character uh, but he did but did he change history and then uh, and he gives um, a three out of five for the second part and that 's where I felt it was a little bit like the uh, mummy on the Orient Express where you know tell me all you know, oh will that save me doctor no, but i'll'll help me save the next person. Um, so there's a lot. Uh, I'm just going to um, say that uh, I haven't really got an awful lot to say about this episode. Um, I, I did think that this fearsome-looking creature was dispatched uh, fairly unceremoniously, you know, with a tidal wave of water. It seemed to just stand there and await its fate. I'm not quite sure why it was pronounced dead uh, presumably it was in some sort of you know, uh, but then came to life. We have the 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 funeral director come, and we suddenly see all it got another reference to the mummy on the Orient Express. All those mummified uh, bandages were left there. Obviously it had resuscitated and revived, uh, and had time to scratch those um, uh, things in the wall. I suppose it had to have this very hard carapace. and and claws and what have you to be able to inscribe on something that can travel through space i mean
5: uh,
3: it it must be a pretty hardy thing to be able to have done that uh, single-handedly or with a finger um I i i do agree that although it was great to have uh a person who was uh impaired play that character it seemed a bit appropriate that this was the one episode where we needed someone like that. And it goes back to, Ken will appreciate this, you know, when Batman needs his anti-acid coat, he happens to be wearing it that day, the day he gets thrown into a bath of acid. You know, the day he gets thrown into somewhere else, he just happens to have the right tool in his uh, thing to do it. So he always seemed to be well-equipped with the right thing. So uh, when I'm getting towards four and a half, uh, five uh, for part one, I think this is uh, more like chapter five. I, I, I was a little bit disappointed. Let me play uh, the. F- I've got a final clip for next time, which we'll play out with. But this is the last clip from this episode, and then uh, I'll just ask uh, uh, the three guys that spoke before Darth if uh, they want to come back.
1: You did change the future. You stopped the fishing king from returning.
3: The Fisher King had been dead for
1: hundred and fifty years before we even got here. So once I went back, I became part of events. But here's the thing. The messages my ghost gave, they weren't for you. They were for me. That list. Everyone after you was random. But you being the next name, that's what made me confront the Fisher King. And saying the chamber will open. That was me telling me to get inside and when to set it for. Mm. (laughs) Except that's not why I said them. How do you mean? I programmed my ghost to say them because that's what my ghost had said. And the only reason that I created my ghost hologram in the first place was because I saw it here. I was reverse engineering the narrative. Okay, that's still pretty smart. You do not understand. When did I first have those ideas, Skylar? Oh, Let me been...
3: Wow, exactly. Who composed Beethoven's fifth Okay, Ken, any, any any come back while Jeff just studies what's been put in text. Well, uh,
0: again, even even though uh, overly the episodes left me a bit hollow, there were such nice bits in it. I. I'm thinking back again to the first episode. I think they're almost homaging uh, Quatermass and the Pit by the inscription and the attitude of the um, Fisher King's ship. Um, And a nod nod to uh, those works that heavily influenced Doctor Who, all all the Quatermass uh, episodes. Again, Again, the loss of Donaldson, they, they played on that, and it was the thing about maybe the callousness of the doctor. But, again, that affected the episode a lot for me. I thought she was like a nice uh, replacement for Clara. Her her comments about Rose, uh, et cetera, were so good, and she was having so much fun. It made, it made it pretty sad for me. And I think after that point, you know, seeing the things uh, played out, it just, it's just, um, I don't know It kind of sapped the joy out of it for me. I don't know. I need the joy of Davros in the morning to make me happy, I guess. Um, but, but I would say between three and a half and four, uh, for both together, they were good, not great. Um, but great, but great bits in them. And I, I, I do like my, uh, my doctor rocking and, uh, Jenna Louise Coleman is wonderful, even though with small bits in this. Uh, the, the part where she is saying about, if you love me at all, was heartbreaking. And, God, she's good. Uh, she's oh, so yeah. good.
3: Okay, uh, again, will give Jeff a little bit more time to condense what he's seeing in the text. Uh, Dr. Conzo, do you want to come back with any thoughts on writing?
5: Uh, yeah, thoughts. I, I want to echo the, uh, the O'Donnell um, sentiments. I, I also thought this would be a great companion. Um, it, it would have it been interesting to have somebody who actually knows the history so we don't have that whole boot up, let's teach the companion what everything's about, and you could have just jumped right into adventures. And, uh, you know, But her excitement, hey, it's big on the inside, it's big on the inside, jumping up and down.
3: Uh, yeah, but she didn't I, want I the doctor. That... She didn't want the doctor to see that. She was well, actually exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
5: yeah, exactly. And I thought I thought that would have made such a good companion. And it's 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 a big shame, um, but it is what it is. I um I, I like I said I thoroughly enjoyed the first. I'd give that at least a four and a half. Um, this one a little cooler, uh, three and a half. Overall four, on the uh, on the two parter. Yeah,
3: right. That's yeah fine. Uh Jeff, do you want to have your own thoughts first? I'll read out and then sure. give your own thoughts.
4: Um let me just echo what these two fine gentlemen just said about the O'Donnell character. I thought she would have been a great companion as well. Um again, I'm I'm gonna stress that I don't think the doctor really changed the future at all. Uh it it looked like he was going to. And I don't think that uh he could have prevented the O'Donnell character from dying. I know there was some remarks about letting her die, but I, I, I don't think he really did. I don't think he had much of a choice. Uh, again, it was events that are already taken place, and uh, I, I just don't think he could have changed it. Um, as far as the ratings go in the text chat, uh, we have Cybob, and he says that he rates us an episode of four out of five, maybe not quite as good as an episode as last week, but it was still a very good episode. And Cybob enjoys the clerical error doctor remark that was st- st- stated in the episode. Uh, Will gives it a 4.5 out of five. And let me see. Uh, Logan says that there is no show tonight on his call series, 81865, the... Media Outsiders, that's going to be moved to next week, and he does give a rating for this, uh, he says it's 8 out of 10, first good rating of the new season for him, but he still hates, hates, hates the sonic glasses,
3: Yeah.
4: and uh, you know, I don't mind the glasses myself too much, I just don't want it to hang around for too much longer. I want the screwdriver back, and maybe a different version of the screwdriver, maybe one that's uh, more suited for Capaldi.
3: Okay. Right. Well, I think that about sums it up. A uh, rather Please. short episode. We, uh, a, just, little, oh, a, few, a little come bit back. Yeah. yeah. Please. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: This, this whole thing about the you know, person who could have been a companion dying, that's a, you know, that, let's not forget, that's a withouse House convention, really, that goes all the way back to well, school reunion where we all would have loved to have seen Sarah Jane become a companion again, and yet she doesn't. Um, and then if you move forward to Vampires in Venice, I think a lot of people would have said that the father of the, um, the one girl who at the top of the episode you know, gets uh, consumed by that uh, group of vampires um, – a lot of people would have said he would be a good companion to stick around, and he doesn't, and then of course, more obviously in god complex, oh um, yeah, the, the nurse who would have clearly been a great i mean the doctor says you are companion material, boom, done uh so it's i mean that's that's a woodhouse ism, i guess um and i think I think it's good from a dramatic standpoint that you kill off people who um you grow to like because that that shows the skill of the writer and the actor, and also makes Doctor Who feel more dangerous since we all know, you know, there's no way you're going to kill the doctor really, and there's no way you're really going to kill the companion, so you know, what are you going to do? Um, And you're still left with some attractive characters that you could come back, and Bennett seems an attractive enough character that one might imagine could be revisited, Um, and, and, you know, so to the the acting base commander, you know she's a pretty interesting character. But what are you going to do? Um, the other thing that I noticed that, that also bugs me about the whole Soviet thing is, at the top of the episode, uh, almost uh, after the teaser, you're able to actually see where they're supposed to be, right? Because they the the TARDIS materializes at the fake train station, and it's supposed to be, and this is the thing that just bugs me. It's not going to bug anybody else, really. but It's supposed to be Krasnodar, right? I mean, there's a big sign hanging that says, if you can read Russian, it says Krasnodar. Well, Krasnodar is like way south of Russia. It's like I'm basically on the Black Sea. Um, and I'm like, why would Scotland be trying to reproduce the conditions of the Black Sea? It's so stupid. And not only that, but Krasnodar, I mean, it's inherent in the name. It kind of means pretty city, right? Um, Krasnodar is one of the jewels, kind of, of ancient Russia, or at least old Russia. And Krasnodar looks nothing like what they have tried to replicate here. Nothing. Uh, Krasnodar has a lot in common with Paris in the sense of there being a big boulevard, And then there being various monuments that are within that boulevard, Um, and it just you know I know that the real world is not what the Doctor Who universe is. You know, from the very beginning, we've got Marco Polo's birth uh, age wrong. We've we've got a number of different um, uh, historical errors that are present in Doctor Who. If you believe that Doctor Who takes place in the real world, which it doesn't, but still, this to me is like why even If you know anything about Russia, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's yet another little bug of air I've got about this particular episode. (laughs) But this is – I think I'm right in saying this is the first episode of Doctor Who to use FaceTime. Pretty sure that's true. (laughs) Um, So it is a victory. After a long drought um, of seeing – like Samsung products and little flip phones and whatever. I mean, you have proper Apple technology that's
1: happening in this
5: episode. So that's good. Well, I just thought it would have been funny. Uh, if the uh, Ghost wouldn't have been able to pick up the phone if it was a Samsung product. It's all fantastic, but, you know, that's just me.
2: There you go. <laughs> there you, um... <laughs> exactly. Well,
1: that's okay. great because,
2: you know, you know those old, I've been waiting for that for a long time because those the monitors that are in the PICWOD set of the TARDIS – those are just, um, you know, old 2005, whatever, Apple Cinema displays or whatever. I've been waiting for a long time for them to actually do a FaceTime call on thing. And, and a, pivot
3: dis- a pivot display. And
2: a pivot display, yeah, just spin the thing around. I've been waiting for that forever, too. That's awesome.
3: Okay. Well, um, I'm going to wrap things up now. What I'm going to do is... Um, well, I've uh, thanked everybody in the room and thanked uh, Jeff in particular for giving me a hand today. Remind everybody, we'll be back next week, Sunday the 18th of October, episode 295, uh, part one of another two-part story. This one at time called The Girl Who Died. Uh, we're back at 2pm. Uh, Ian won't be with us for that, but hopefully between now and then he will be on the commentary for this episode, which may be going up soon uh and as before we have our guest commentator on and we've got a couple of more guest commentators lined up on upcoming commentaries so hope you will listen to those as well as our live shows and um let me uh say thank you very much to um all those people on audio jeff darth dr gonzo uh ken uh and uh uh Donaldson and anybody else, I don't think I missed anybody else who actually spoke, but those in uh, Under the Cone, Dragon Time Lord, Symbiosis, Price prize Rain, Super Moon Eclipse, Guest 10, uh, Willis Girl, Logan, uh, Mad Howe, Oscar Talks, uh, and of course, the ever-present Cybob. So what I'm going to do is um, play um, the next time clips of you uh, usually cut yourself off before that. Uh, then uh, take your headphones off. That lasts for 24 seconds, and then we'll go with the outro. Thanks very much, uh, Jeff, for helping me out today.
4: It's my pleasure, Dave.
3: Okay, we'll see you all next week, folks, and uh, uh, hope Ian had a very successful day treading the boards. Bye all.
1: Yeah! You fight or you die. They're called the fire. You will beg for mercy. Uh, uh. One of them, yes. Why? I think this village just declared war on them. There's going to be a war, and here's some news. We're going to win the hell out of it. Why are you here? I'm the doctor, and I save people.